0: Second Samuel chapter 12, beginning with verse number 12. And then we'll go to Psalm 62 and verse 8. Our setting is when the prophet confronted David. And in verse number 12, he says, For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun." David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child. David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. The servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came to the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Psalm 62 and 8, just one scripture that I'd like to tie in this evening with this text. Bible says, trust in him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. My subject this evening for our Sunday school lesson is direction from David's disaster. Direction from David's disaster. Lord bless you as you're seated today. Thank you for standing standing in honor of the word of the Lord. We can all agree today that this book consists and contains many great men and women who we will call heroes of the faith, men and women that walked in the midst of difficult times, yet they trusted God through adversity. One of the most prominent men of this book, aside from the Lord, is David, who we know as the youngest of Jesse's sons, almost an afterthought in his daddy's mind, uh, in fact, if you dig around in history, Dr. Hughes preaches a message um, that details this as well as other books that I have read. Uh, it is There's strong evidence that David was conceived um, by Jesse uh, out of wedlock by another woman. That's why he said, I was born in sin, shapen in iniquity. And it bears some truth whenever you consider the fact that when asked for his sons, he didn't even bring David uh, to meet Samuel. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. But God knows how to take that which uh, is ugly in people's eyes and use it for something good. And so David, God saw something in David. The anointing brought him from the pasture to the palace. Even though the process took years, David is known for many accomplishments prior to the throne. David played music for Saul. David bonded with Jonathan. He fled for his life, and he didn't kill Saul when he had the chance. But he became the king of Israel, and his tenure as king was filled with victory and with vision. It was filled with passion, and it was filled with progress. Yet David's greatest lesson would not come from the thrill of the throne. It would come from a what I would call a disaster. You know the story quite well. David saw Bathsheba bathing in the seed of lust, began to grow in his heart. He concocted the plan to send Uriah to the front line, and Uriah, the wife of Bathsheba, was killed, thus opening the door for David to be with Bathsheba. A child was produced from this um, altercation between David and Bathsheba. But there came a day when God sent Nathan the prophet knocking on the door of David, if you please, and Nathan the prophet called David's hand and related a story. And David's anger rose wanting to kill the man that Nathan was talking about. And that prophet, I could see a crooked finger pointed in David's face and he said, thou art the man. Now the focus is no longer on everything that David has done right. But now the focus is on what David has done wrong. We find out who we really are, not by what we've done right, but how we act when things are going wrong. And now David has to choose which path will he take. Which which road is he going to travel? Will he act like it's no big deal? He's the king. He can do whatever he wants. He's got all the power of the land. Or will he humble himself in the sight of God? the The disaster was going to produce something good in David's life. Caught in the crosshairs of God's eye, David is fixing to show us how he became a man after God's own heart. See. David's mess-up is dramatic. Yes, we understand that it was a very difficult time, but it's really no different than what you and I do today because wrong is wrong. It doesn't matter if it was 5,000 years ago or if it was yesterday or if it's next year. Wrong is wrong and right is right. So yes, the, the characters, if I could use that word, may be swapped throughout scenarios. But the principles of God are timeless. The Word of God transcends generations and barriers and social status. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And we know there's times when God's Word speaks directly to us. It may not be Nathan the prophet looking at us and saying, you know what you did wrong. But God has a way of speaking to us and showing us when we've done wrong. Mm-hmm. We, like David, have decisions to make. Job 14 and 1 said, Man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. One thing that's a constant anywhere in this world is it doesn't matter what language they speak, it doesn't matter what continent they live on, trouble will find everybody. It's innate. It's in your nature. And disasters are going to come. It, 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 things are going to happen in our life. And it's not how we make the disaster that we've got to figure out. It's how we fix the disaster that we've got to figure out. And we can learn from David's disaster. There's some things I want to talk about this evening. Standing before the prophet of God, David would humble himself before the Lord. He understood that he made a mess and he knew that God was speaking to him. And the prophet told David that God forgave him. David would not die, but the child that he conceived with Bathsheba would die. Now, David could have argued. David could have shouted in anger. God, it's not fair. How could you do this? You promised that my seed would build the temple. God, now you're going to remove that seed. This doesn't make sense, and it looked like God's not going to keep his word. This disaster we find David in is going to give us some direction because there's times in our own life where we want to feel like we could cry out to God in anger. God, I don't understand. God, I thought things were going to be different. God, how could you allow this to happen? But I want you to look in Psalm 62 and 8. The first phrase, there's a parallel between Psalm 62 and 8 and, 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 and the text that we read. The first step when you find yourself in a disaster, whether you made it or you woke up in it, it will apply to everybody. The first thing, trust in him at all times. At that very moment, all of David's trust in God was being tested. It's easy to trust God whenever things go in your way. And and, and, and usually I found people that'll tell you just to trust God are the ones that aren't going through anything right now. It's amazing how many I can solve everybody else's problems. Or you can too, but Let's talk. Let, let's talk again when your world is turned upside down. Trust in him at all times. You see, your disaster won't prevent your destiny. It won't. David had a destiny to fulfill. And just because he woke up in a disaster. That't mean it affected his destiny, but people think that their world is going to crumble, and they can't they, they'll have no future. no, no, no no. Joseph had to go through a prison, but his promise didn't die in his downtime. He trusted God through the prison, he trusted God through disaster, and God can use the disaster to produce something good in your life. You've got to trust him. there's a difference between trust and faith. Trust is a greater realm of faith. The old story, uh, you've probably heard it about the guy who was going to uh, walk across a tightrope between two high rises and he wanted to push a wheelbarrow across the tightrope. And there's this bystander, little kid looking at him and said, You got faith in me? He said, Oh, I got faith in you. You're the greatest. You've done this many times. You can do this. Boy, he sang his praises. He said, Well, do you trust me? He said, Oh, I trust you. He said, Get on my shoulders. See, there's a difference between faith and trust. Faith believes in God's ability. Trust believes in God's willingness. And it's one thing to say I got faith. It's another thing to say I got trust. Trust is a, it's, 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 it's a dimension that you have to constantly remind yourself. I got to trust God. I got to trust God. But you never know how good you're doing at trusting God until you're in a situation that requires that trust. We don't want those situations. We don't want to get in those seasons of life where we, don't, we can't control the outcome of it. The Bible says in Proverbs 3 and 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Why can't we lean unto our own understanding? Because there's no way we can comprehend what God's trying to do in our life. It's as simple as that. Human understanding cannot equate to what God is trying to do in you and through you. So the only way to live for God is by trusting him. Trust is not a heart issue. It's a mind issue. So you look at your mess up or your disaster and you try to figure out how any good can come from all of this disaster because you rely on your own understanding. You can't do that. The Bible says, Commit thy ways unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Everybody quotes that, and they leave out that middle part. They say, Commit thy ways unto the Lord, and he shall bring it to pass. Hold up. you got to look at the middle part. Commit thy ways unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You can't just commit it. you got to trust. Because what we do is go, All right, Lord. I got this situation here. I'm committed this into you. But in two days, if something hadn't changed, we pick it up and we try to fix it ourselves. When you commit it, you gotta trust that that which you have committed it to, that person you committed it to, is able to handle it. You can't just pick it up and try to fix it yourself. Because we all know we only make it worse. We don't make it better, we don't make it better. We make it worse. David. You can't be a man after God's own heart if you only trust him in the high. David had to trust God in the lowest point of his life. You've got to believe that God can bring some good from your mistakes, and you can't let the enemy convince you that nothing good can come from your disaster. David learned this the hard way, just like Job. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's a level of trust. That God, I trust you so much if you took my life right now, there wouldn't be a problem in my heart. I would would believe that you were sovereign and you have a plan. See, we, we have a hard time when God's plan shifts from what we have planned for our life. When those plans start deviating it starts breeding confusion. And God, I, I thought this, and God, I thought that, and God, I wanted to do this, and God, I wanted to go there. God has a way of realigning things. When there's confusion in your spirit, confusion's not of God. God is not the author of confusion. And you've got to rein that flesh in and bring it into subjection to the will of God. Every time... God has shifted me in my life. There has always been at least two definitive encounters from God that I could point back to and say, God, I know that I know that I know. When I started, when I was fixing to evangelize, I was a youth pastor at my home church. And one day I walked in just a normal service. And it felt like I was a visitor. You ever been gone for like two, three weeks on vacation and you come back and you come into church and you just feel like a visitor? You know what I'm talking about. You just feel like you miss so much. I felt like that. I walked in one day and I just, I said, Lord, something's not right. I don't know what's wrong. Something's not right. And and I always heard before God transitions you, he makes you uncomfortable, kind of like a mother eagle has to pull the nest out from underneath so they'll fly. Well, so I began to pray. Finally, the Lord started dealing with me about evangelizing. And I knew I was supposed to evangelize. I knew God was calling me to evangelize. But when you talk about stepping out from a, a weekly income and you step into nothing, that's scary. When you don't have any guarantee, where's my next meal coming from? I don't know. I was living in a house that the church owned, so I was going to have to talk about consider getting a house and all these different variables. And I would pray and I would pray and I would pray, and and, and, and I felt this so strong, yet my, my flesh was wanting to hold on to what I wanted, what I wanted. I know what the Spirit was wanting, but what I wanted. So I began to pray and I began to seek God on exactly, Lord, what am I supposed to do? What I need to know the perfect will of God. I believe in a perfect will of God. I believe that I don't believe in four wills of God. There's people that believe in four wills of God. There's not four wills of God. There's one will of God. There's one. And so I began to pray and seek God and finally felt like I was supposed to evangelize and I wouldn't preach for individual Great church. Great people. And I preached a youth service. And two youth services, two Wednesday nights. And he took me to lunch. Now, I've only preached two services as an evangelist. And he took me to lunch, and he said, I want you to be my youth pastor. And I'm sitting here thinking, all right. That's the shortest evangelistic ministry? Two services as an evangelist. I said, it was on a Friday. I said, you know what? Let me pray about it. I'll let you know something on Monday. So all weekend long, I mean, I, I, would, I would, in my mind, write down pros and cons. Big church, big youth group, you know, all the pros. Cons, well, I feel like I'm supposed to be evangelizing. And in my mind, I wrestled with it for days. Because I also had a wife, and I had, at the time I had three children, And I'm thinking I'll have a guaranteed income and all this stuff. But I knew what the Spirit was wanting me me to do. So on Monday, I called that pastor. And I told him, I said, Brother so-and-so, thank you so much for the invitation. I believe it's a great opportunity for somebody. But I don't think it's for me. I could take you to the spot in that parking lot where I hung up the phone." And I'm, I started kind of slapping myself. What are you doing? You, there's guys that would dream about being that guy's youth pastor. And, and he invited you. And, and, and I got so confused. I got so confused what I was supposed to do. And I was also worried about my wife. My wife, for a lady, it's a big thing to have a guaranteed income, some security. And I was trying to balance all that out and be pleasing to God. So I'm sitting there in my vehicle, and I've got a phone call. Now, nobody knew about this. I got a phone call from a lady in the church, a prayer warrior. She said, Brother Tyler, she said, I was praying just a few minutes ago, and I felt like a spirit of confusion was trying to come on you. And the Lord told me to call and tell you that you're supposed to be evangelizing. And he was going to use you mightily on the field. I could have got out of that vehicle and shouted all over the place. She hung up. She called me back right away. She said, and let me tell you something else. She said, it's only only natural to worry about your wife and your family. But you do the will of God. In spite of all that, God's going to take care of everything. See, there's when, when, when you just put your trust in Him, God has a way of just letting you know, I know right where you're at. You're going in the right direction. You do what you're supposed to be doing. But you've got to trust Him. When you feel confusion on the inside, that's a good indicator that your flesh is trying to buck against the will of God. God's not the author of confusion. The, the will of God may not always be pleasant, but it can always be peaceful. Because... God is the prince of peace, and and he can give you peace in the midst of everything. So the second thing I want to point out is the second part of that verse. Pour out your heart before him. David left the presence of that prophet, and the Bible says he laid before the Lord. And if walls could talk, I think we would hear the heart of David being, being poured out before God. David was a man just like you. David was a human being just like us. He wasn't exempt from that pain. In fact, I'm not going to use the word better, but we got one up on David. We got the Holy Ghost. David didn't have the Holy Ghost. Old Testament, nobody had the Holy Ghost. We know at least we have something on the inside helping us. David didn't even have that. And yet he pours out his heart before God. That's what you and I have to do when we find ourselves in situations that are a result of our own wrongdoing. We've all had to admit at times in our life that we, we made a mess of things. But you know what we try to do? We try to conceal all of our mess-ups. It's, it's only natural. It started in the Garden of Eden when they made fig leaves to cover up all their wrongs. What are they? What were they trying to do? I don't want anybody to see my problems. I read a little story I thought was rather true regarding humanity. man came home one night from the bar. He said he wasn't living for God. He slowly opened the door and tiptoed through the house, hoping his wife wouldn't catch him. He had been in a fight earlier in the evening, so he went to the bathroom to bandage his wounds. He looked in the mirror and noticed he was pretty cut up, and he got all the trash from the band-aids, threw them away, cleaned everything up, slipped in the bed and, and thought to himself, I got this. She'll never know. Until the next morning when she he saw his, when she saw his uh, rather, I'm sorry, he saw his wife standing next to the bed. And she asked him if he'd been out the night before, and he openly denied it. She then asked the question. How did all the band-aids get put all over the mirror? We don't want to, y'all know that's the truth. We don't want nobody to see our problems, but our problems eventually reveal the truth. The truth comes out. You can't conceal all of your problems all the time. But we, we want to act like everything's good in our life. We want. To, we got this idea that if we can fool people, we can fool God. We're so worried what people think about us. We're so we we we, we want people's approval so bad that we will lie and act like everything's. Well, some people will tell you what's wrong. But David turned to the Lord, and he, he began to pour out his heart before him. His prayers, if I had to guess, they probably sound a lot like ours. God, why did I ever do this? God, why did I give in to that? God, I can't believe I messed up. I, I can't, you, you could just go all the way down the list, and all the prayers that come out of our lips, they probably came out of David's lips. He was human. He was human. There's nothing wrong with just pouring out your heart before God. There's times I go to prayer and I say, Lord, if you'll just allow me a little while, I just want to empty myself before the Lord. It may be with tears. It may be frustrated with myself. But God listens. God hears. He understands. That's why the Bible says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. This, wasn't nothing, this was nothing new to David. David knew what it was like to pour out his heart before God. In fact, in Psalm 142, when he was in the cave, he said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed him my trouble. I don't think that makes David any less admirable. I think it shows us the humanity of David. And he knows what it's like to struggle. I think it shows us a clear picture of a right relationship, which is an openness before God. I believe in a right relationship, there should be openness. There should be that ability to pour out our heart before the Lord and not feel bad for us. Some people, think, some people say, oh, you shouldn't complain before God. Really? Let's go look at the book. There's a lot of people in here that did a whole lot of complaining to God. Now, I do think you can get on a negative cycle, and all you do is complain. We want to avoid that. But there's times when your heart is just overwhelmed, and you've got to pour out your soul before God. You've got to empty all of that stuff out. God wants you to do that. God wants you because if you hold it all in, it becomes like poison to your spirit. So there's nothing wrong with cleansing your soul by pouring it out before God. God knows that we're human and we can only handle so much. The Bible says that David prayed for seven days until the baby died. His actions indicate a transition in his spirit. Because verse 20 says, Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He recognized, yes, the baby died. No, I didn't want the baby to die. But some things happen whether we want it or not. So I, I've got a transition in my spirit from grieving because I can't change it. There's some people they are stuck on things that happened 20 years ago. It, I'm not making light of whatever it is that that person is stuck on. You can only grieve for so long. You can only stay upset for so long. You can only live in regret for so long. Then you've got to make a transition in your spirit. And you've got to move on. David rose up from the earth, and he washed, and he anointed himself, changed his apparel, and came in the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. This indicates the last phrase of Psalm 62. God is a refuge for us. He's a refuge. It seems impossible for someone to make that kind of transition, but David knew that he would never be able to step into what God had for him until he stopped weeping over what was lost and started worshiping for what was to come because God would honor his word. God would raise up a seed out of David to sit on his throne. But David, it wouldn't happen like you thought it was going to happen, but we can learn something from this disaster. He found a refuge in the Lord. Psalm 46 and 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I'll never forget as a little boy, I I loved missionaries, and I I would read stories of missionaries that would come in the newsletters, and I I would be lying to you if I told you what location because I don't know what location it was. I want to say it was South America or Mexico somewhere, but it was not the United States, okay, so I know that much. And and this, this missionary had been winning souls and winning souls and winning souls, and it upset a lot of people because harvest will upset people and it'll stir up spirits. And he was sitting on the front porch of the church, and one of the men that was upset over the revival came up to him, didn't even have a word or time to say anything, pulled out a gun, stuck it in his face, and pulled the trigger. And while he was fixing to speak, he caught that bullet between his teeth. Now, I know that sounds far-fetched, but that's a true story. Verifiable, true story. Why? Because God is a present help in the time of trouble. There's going to be a man come for our installation. He will preach. He's going to stay over, and he's going to preach on that Sunday. Now, I'm telling you this now because if I told you, you wouldn't believe it if he walked in. He used to climb radio towers 200, 250 feet, change light bulbs, put on uh, antennas, cell phone towers. And one day, he was being lifted. This particular tower, he could not climb. He had to be winched. And it was only him and one other person, one running the, the, the winch, the cathead, and him with 50 pounds of tools on him, and he was sitting in a little belt. And he got 75 foot up that tower, and the guy dropped him. And the only thing he had to say between 75 foot and landing feet first on the ground was Jesus. But God spared him. And yeah, it messed up his back and it messed up his ankle. But if he walk, when he walks in, nobody in this church will ever know that, that he was dropped 75 foot from a tower. Why? Because God is a refuge for us. There's times you ain't got time to pray and get on your knees, but you can say Jesus and God knows exactly what you need, when you need it. He's a refuge. He's a very present help in the time of trouble, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what next week holds or next year holds. But there's three principles that we can put in our life. Trust in him at all times. At all times. Pour out your heart before him. Because God is a refuge. He's a place of safety. God has the ability to take what you thought was tragedy and turn it into triumph. I'm sure David thought, God, it's over. The temple will never be built. Understand, we get to read the whole story. David was living it. So just like you don't know what your tomorrow holds, David didn't know what his next day held. And maybe those thoughts came through his mind. Lord, I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm a failure. No, David, you're not a failure. You're a human. The difference between a fail and a fall is I. One letter. Because I am the one that's going to determine whether my situation will simply be a fall or it'll make me a failure. How am I going to do that? I'm going to get back up. I'm going to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to try better next time. God, I'm human. I didn't mean to mess this thing up, but I'm going to keep on going. Just like Joseph said to his brothers, but as for you, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good. There's times when we mess up, we think the enemy's won. Let me tell you, as long as you're breathing, there's hope for you to make it to heaven. I know some people think, oh, you don't know those people. You're right, I don't know those people. But as long as somebody's breathing, they have an opportunity to get things right with God. And I'm going to be the last person to judge somebody because the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. And with what measure you give mercy, you're going to receive mercy. If you keep reading that chapter, you'll find an amazing picture of restoration. David, after worshiping the Lord, conceived another child with Bathsheba. And the very next child that followed his disaster was named Solomon. Solomon was known for his wisdom from God. God turned what looked hopeless into a wonderful example of his ability to forgive and bless. David had no way of knowing what what lied on the other side of his disaster. But he trusted God. He poured out his heart before the Lord. And he used God as a place of refuge. There's been times in my life, and I know as well as you, the safest place I could get was in a place of prayer. The safest place. I felt like if I went outside my place of prayer, I was as vulnerable as anything else and I was being attacked. But let me get to a place of prayer. There's been times I was literally driving down the road on the inside. I was saying, God, I can't wait till I get home. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go get in my office and pray. You say, well, you can, you can pray driving down the road. You're right, but there's something special about just being able to get in the presence of God and empty everything out. Just get it out. Because inside of every single person, I don't care what age they are, there's the heart of a little scared child. They can act like however they want to act, but every single person in this building on the inside, you're like just a little kid scared, and, and when that fear comes creeping in, you just need the reassurance of daddy. There's something about daddy. I got I got those four girls, and 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 I still love it when they're two years two years old was my favorite age of all of my kids. I know people say terrible twos, but I love two years old. I'd come home and they—my favorite thing is them just running around the house in a diaper. Just, I just loved it. They'd come up and they'd just start to talk. I love you, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. I'll just empty my wallet. I'll give you anything you want. Anything you want. Because there's something about how a daddy feels when those children run to him for help. There's something about it. And we're made in the image of God. And if I feel like that with my earthly kids, and you feel like that with your kids, how do you think God feels when he sees his children run to him saying, Daddy, I need a little help. I messed up, Daddy. I can't handle this by myself, Daddy. There's something about the heart of a father. God, God's not upset. People say, well, you shouldn't go run to God. And I, and I, God's saying, you know what? I'll help you. I'll help you. Stand with me right now. I'll help you. So what? You messed up. So what? You made a mistake. What made David a man after God's own heart was he ran to God. What makes you a person after God's own heart is when you mess up or you've got problems in your life, either you're going to run to the world and run to people or you're going to run to God. Say, God, I need help. I need help. You know what? If you run to God, God's going to be right there. God's going to have those arms open ready to help you. Amen. Let's lift our hands right now all over the building. Lord, thank you for every person in this place.